Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. Today's Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Jean Sarat and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick en masse to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Does anyone, does anyone know the saying, when the going gets tough? When the going gets tough, what is it? The tough get going. This can be very true in some instances. This can be hurtful in other instances. Sometimes when the going gets tough, it just gets tougher. And um, yeah, and sometimes it's totally true. What about when the rowing gets tough? What happens when the rowing gets tough? Who, does anyone remember... Lay Down Sally from the 2004 Olympics. Anyone remember that, that little event? Lay Down Sally. Sally Robinson, she was in the Australian Women's Eight at the Athens Olympics. And they were in the lead, I believe. And 250 metres before the finish line, she uh, lay down and let her oar sit in the water. And they did not win a medal. And everyone was furious. I read, you know, Kathy Freeman. She's like the gatekeeper of Australianness. Kathy Freeman says... That was almost un-Australian. I think that's a bit harsh. I also read that her, her teammate um, slapped her at the like, celebration event of the Olympics after. Um, so she really copped her. I, I don't know if that's fair. But, um, we, we once played a game at youth group. We, we ran a youth group when I was at uh, Newport with Williamstown here called Salty. And we had an Olympics night for youth group. And so we played a game called Lay Down Sally. And we had all the, the youth kids line up um, in their teams. And they were sort of on, on the carpet, positioned as if they were in a rowboat. And then we just said, like, row, row. 
And we just did that for like minutes and minutes and minutes until someone lay down and cost their team the match. There was a lot of carpet burn that night. Um, you know, OH&S has really cramped the style of a lot of youth groups lately, so those are the days. I, I had my own lay down locky moment once. I went to one of those schools that, that does rowing, which is sort of silly. Like I think, you know, Melbourne High was, was where I went and they, they often get you to do activities that are slightly off what's cool. Like, you, you don't get to play in a band, you get to play in an orchestra, you know? You don't get to, you don't get to do, like, cool army military things. You, you get to be in army cadets. You, um, in year nine, you sort of get given an option. Do you want to join the orchestra, the cadets, or rowing? Um, you don't get to play a sport. You more get to just participate in an ancient form of transport. Um, <laughs> Rowing, So it's, it's all right. I, I sort of liked it initially. The, the land training was quite, was quite intense. You do a lot of um, conditioning and that was, that was fun. But I didn't really like getting in the Yarra River and, and rowing. And I was, I was pretty over it by winter. Um, we were doing our training in the winter and it was cold. And I was playing hockey and I was like, you know, enjoying hockey a bit more. And I sort of decided this is too hard. I think I'm going to give up rowing. I think I'm going to, you know, focus on hockey. Lockie, who plays hockey, you know, rhymes. <laughs> Nothing rhymes with rowing. <laughs> it's apart from, yeah, when the tough get going, or the tough, when the rowing gets tough. So the rowing got tough, and I decided I was... Well, actually, um, if you know about rowing, the hardest boat to row in is called a single skull, because you're on your own, and so it's the smallest boat, and you've got two oars... And it's easy to fall in. And I'd sort of given up and I was on the water in a single skull and really gave up. And I thought I'd entertain my friends and sort of do a bit of a a celebration with both my hands off the oars. And I ended up in the Yarra and never rowed again. Um, So when the rowing got tough, I had my own lay down locky moment. But rowing is hard. Maybe you've been on one of those ergo machines at the gym even. That's even quite difficult. And the disciples in our story today are are rowing in a storm. They've just been participants of what is surely the coolest picnic party of all time, where God has just catered for thousands of people and they must be on a massive high. And then they're stuck in high winds in the middle of the night. The rowing is tough. It would have been tempting, I'm sure, for them to lay down and just fall in. Just collapse. If you've, if you've lived long enough to, to not be in seeds, you probably know the pain and strain of struggling through the metaphorical storms and waves of life. It's part of being human. High school life, relationships, friendships, marriage, family life, work life, spiritual life. Mental health, physical health, emotional health, financial health. Many of us are probably in the midst of multiple storms this morning. You made it to church. Well done. I know some people here only just made it because life is hard. And it's tempting to lie down, to give up, to stop going, to stop rowing. I wonder what God might have to say to you today. I'm going to pray just for a moment. God, 
Speak to us now. Speak to our hearts now. Amen. Let's, let's look at the text. So first couple of verses, there's, there's a few things I, I noticed in here. Notice that immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So this happens straight after the feeding of the 5,000 and in uh, two of the other Gospels, so in Mark, but also in Matthew and John, this story comes straight after the feeding of the 5,000. So the disciples have have fed 5,000. It's the coolest picnic party of all time. And yet it seems as if Jesus doesn't want his disciples to, to hang around. He doesn't want them to be seduced by the crowds. They've been part of an epic miracle, and there's a huge crowd, of course. 5,000 men, plus women and children. And crowds can be seductive. The power of popularity and masses of people is alluring. Jesus knows that, so he moves his disciples on. I think that's really interesting. And then Jesus moves the crowd on too. He himself, he's not seduced by the crowd, so he knows that he can, can do this by himself. Jesus doesn't dismiss his disciples and then go to like a VIP meet and greet, an autograph session with everyone. He doesn't start a chant like, oh wow, oh wow, Jesus fed five thou. Oh wow, oh wow, Jesus fed five thou. There's no, he dismisses the crowd. Because Jesus is okay with boundaries. He's okay with wrapping up a dinner party and telling people it's home time. I know if any of you struggle with that, but that's a huge struggle for me. If we're hosting someone, how do I end this? <laughs> in, a, in a positive way. Like, not that I don't want to be there. We had my pa's funeral um, in the country this week, and I had to get back to Melbourne for Alpha. It was hard to, you know, pull myself away from all those you know, awesome snacks. The country funerals are catered like nothing else. And the people, it's Jesus is okay with boundaries. And what does he do next? He he wraps the miracle dinner party up so that he can pray. Because his identity is not found in the praise of many, but in the secret place with the Father. So he gets away to pray. Jesus is God. And yet he makes it part of his lifestyle that he gets away to pray with God. And so I think if Jesus needs that, then surely so do we. And see how Jesus' time in prayer, it's, it's a, it comes at a cost to himself. He, he shuts down the party that he started and then he takes the rest of the night to pray. Sometimes... I feel like I would pray more if people didn't need me or if there wasn't things to do. But a life of prayer doesn't mean praying instead of loving and serving others. But it actually comes instead of that thing you can afford to say no to. A life of prayer actually comes at a cost to us. The payoff is is worth it, I promise you. But if if you want to or need to pray more... It's often tempting to fantasise about having more time, less to do, less people to serve. But maybe you need to pray instead of 
watching TV after dinner. Or pray when you would usually check your phone or read the newspaper or the news feed. Because a life of prayer takes planning, takes preparation and takes discipline. So Jesus did all of this with, with prayer as the thing he planned to do through the night. Later that night, the disciples are rowing, and, and we have these verses here, which, which we're going to look at most closely today. And so what I notice here is that the disciples are straining at the oars in the middle of the night. Verse 48 says, shortly before dawn. Other translations um, say this more clearly. What it actually says in the original text is during the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. this is happening, and that means that they've been rowing all night. And the wind is against them. Now the translation says they were battered by the wind. And so it's these sort of stormy conditions that, that the disciples find themselves in. The stormy conditions that you might see when you watch the Sydney to Hobart on, on TV. Or the kind of conditions you don't see at Williamstown Beach. Willie Beach is a great swimming beach, but it's the worst surf beach. Uh, I once tried to surf at Willie Beach uh, in, on a stormy day, and yeah, it wasn't. My friend had just bought a surfboard, so we're like, we've got to try this out, but it totally wasn't worth it. So there's these sort of stormy conditions and, and Jesus walks on water out to them because he has compassion on them. And yet his disciples don't recognise him. They, they see Jesus and they're terrified thinking he's a ghost. Even though they just saw Jesus, they just saw Jesus feed over 5,000 people, way over 5,000 people. They can't fathom that he'd walk on water. That's too far. That's too much, Jesus. Their hearts were hardened. They're shocked, frightened, amazed. Mark, his disciple, Mark the, uh, the author of this book, said, said that about the disciples, that they were, they were frightened and that their hearts were hardened. But he's the narrator and he's telling us that. Jesus does, doesn't say that. Compassionate and gracious, gracious Jesus simply says, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage, friends. It is I. I am. The same words that Yahweh spoke to Moses. Don't be afraid. And so Jesus gets into the boat with them. The winds die down. They cross over the lake and they land in the morning. And when they crossed over, they land at Gennesaret. And then we get like a summary. Um, Mark does a summary of the rest of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. So we're at the end of chapter 6. We've got one more chapter to go of sort of stories about Jesus' um, life and, and things he did and his ministry. And then we get into the, the way of the cross and Jesus' teaching and, and going to the cross from chapter 8 to 16. So this is a summary of the rest of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And Jesus is healing people here, there and everywhere. Um, notice that the, the disciples didn't recognise Jesus on the water, but here everyone recognises Jesus. And they go full tilt, maximising his ministry and time there. Jesus is incredible. And I read this and I go, would we, Father, would we maximise our time in the presence of Jesus? 
They ran through the whole region to get as many of the sick to Jesus. They even begged to touch the edge of his cloak. Because there is power in the presence and power in the name of Jesus. Would we also maximise our time in the presence of God? This section 47 to 52, though, is where I want to spend the the rest of our time this morning. Because I think God wants to teach us something about when the rowing gets tough. The passage, I believe, teaches us about the stress of separation from Jesus. The peace of his presence. And what it means to recognise his revelation. The stress of separation from Jesus, the peace of his presence, and recognising his revelation. In Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, whenever the disciples are separated from Jesus, they end up in distress. Now, in applying this to our life, I don't want to say that all distress in life comes from separation from Jesus. But it also kind of does. Like, sin... Sin is being separated from God. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. And all pain and suffering and storms flow from the problem and poison that is sin and separation from God. So the storms and stresses of your life are in a way a result of sin. It might not necessarily be your own sin. And so I don't want you to hear that every issue in my life is a, is a cause of my own sin. It might be that you're a victim of sin or that you're a human being living in a fallen and broken world of sin where suffering happens. It also could be your own sin, though. And so I think a good starting point when we find ourselves in a storm is to first ask God to search our heart. God, is there anything I need to repent of? If so, we, we bring that to God and it's, it's through repentance that we're reconciled to God. If it's not, though, then know that we are in a fallen, broken world. Marred by sin. And know that suffering, straining, stress and struggle will occur. Because separation from God, separation from Jesus leads to distress. It's the stress of separation from Jesus. But also take heart Because one day God will fully redeem and reconcile this world to him. And Revelation 21 says there'll be no more crying or tears or pain or struggle. While we're still here, it it can be very tough. We can be stuck in storms, straining at the oars. And so when the rowing gets tough, what can we do? It is surely not as simple as the tough get rowing. But it's also not as simple as, as giving up to do a lay-down Sally or a lay-down Lockie. Rather, rather, Jesus says at the end of verse 50, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Jesus is with you. And so the second thing that, that I see in this passage is the peace of his presence. That Jesus gets into the boat and the wind dies down. It's his presence with them in the boat that brings peace to the storm and situation. His closeness brings comfort and they end up getting to where they were meant to be. It's important that Jesus doesn't just steal the waves. 
Jesus stills the waves and they end up making it to the shore as well. I think often, I don't know if you're like me, but often we want Jesus to give us the helicopter help. The, the airlift sort of um, solution where he takes us out of the situation and just plops us on the shore. For some glorious, beautiful, painful reason, Jesus most of the time opts for the, the I will walk with you approach over the helicopter help option. And so in the storms, it is not giving up or laying down that is our resolution. But neither is our resolution to be taken out of the situation. Some, sometimes it can be Jesus did move the disciples on because it said it's best for them to not face the temptation of the seduction of the crowd, so I'm going to move them on. But often in the storm, the solution isn't to be taken out of the situation, but is the peace of his presence with you. That he's with you. And he wants to walk with you through this life. And that gives us the ultimate hope and strength to persevere. I want to add here that, that this doesn't mean that we don't need practical solutions to painful situations. So medical assistance or human intervention or pastoral and professional counselling, whatever is appropriate to your storm, is totally suitable and helpful. <coughs> Hear that. Some, sometimes Christians have got in a lot of trouble because we've, we've believed in the, the priority and primacy of, of the peace of his presence to help us and then forsaken all the other wonderful things that God's made available to us. We don't want to do that. But we do want to understand the priority of the peace of Jesus' presence as the greatest help in this life. It doesn't mean that we neglect the assistance of people, the law, technology, institutions. But it does mean he's got you. He's got you. And we can rest in his presence and the peace and resolve that comes from being with him and being close to him. I was encouraged um, by the story of, of a friend who, who's working as a, a mentor in, in Christian Union at, at the universities in Melbourne. And, and she was talking to Jess, actually, and she was saying, I just trust Jesus has these, these girls that I'm mentoring. I just trust that he's got them. If they're in full-on crisis, they can call me. But I also trust that Jesus has got them. I don't need to, to be there every, every day texting them at 4am. I don't need to, to meet up with them twice a week or meet up with them every time crisis hits. If, if they need me, they can call me, but Jesus has got them too. I think it's, it's tempting for, for ministries or relationships or whatever it might be to be, to be a crutch. Those things are helpful. In fact, they are in, in many ways a crutch. A crutch helps you walk. But they're not a saviour. Jesus is our saviour and his presence, his withness, that he is with us, that he has saved us. Like Charlie said so perfectly in communion that he's the sacrifice to save us and rescue us from, from all sin from separation from God, from all trouble. Jesus has got you. He's got it. And our faith, our faith will, will grow. Sometimes it's hard to see that he's got us. But our faith will grow as we learn to recognise Jesus. 
I don't have time to unpack this line, but I think it's really helpful. We seek to subjectively experience his objective presence with us. He is with us. That is that is that that is true. He is with us. That's objective. But do we know that? Do we feel that? May we seek to subjectively experience that, his objective presence. And to do that, we, we must learn to recognize his revelation. Jesus is, is revealing himself to the disciples here. There's a lot of similarities to the way God revealed himself in the Old Testament to his people. We see in the Old Testament that, that Yahweh walks on water in, in Job. We see in Kings that he passes by Elijah. We see in Exodus, um, Yahweh say, uh, it is I, which in, if you actually look at the, the Greek translation of when in Exodus 3, God reveals his name to Moses and says, I am, I am who I am. The Greek translation of that is the same as the Greek writing, it is I. So we actually have the same revelation here. So Jesus revealing himself here. He says, take courage in his eye, don't be afraid. And he reveals himself to the disciples, but they initially don't recognize him. And Mark slaps them for this. They just witnessed the feeding of the five thou. It is totally worth the chant, oh wow, oh wow, Jesus fed five thou. And yet they can't believe that he'd be walking on water towards them when the rowing gets tough. That's exactly what Jesus would do. The miraculous, divine Jesus who loves his best friends and has compassion on them. Of course he would be here. Of course he would be with them. But they don't recognise him. Because in the middle of the storm, it's hard to see Jesus. And when he doesn't meet our expectations, it's hard to see Jesus. Yet it is so often that in, it is in the middle of the storm, in the most unexpected ways and at the most unexpected times, that Jesus does reveal himself. And so we've got to learn to discern the presence of Jesus in the midst of our pain, which is hard, but it's so worth it. Hard things are so often worth it, and great things are so often hard. So may we not have hard hearts like the disciples here. May we not underestimate the power and passion of Jesus and his love and care for us, his sheep. Do you know that that parable in Luke 15? Jesus says he's he's like a shepherd who leaves 99 of his sheep to find the one. He's like a woman who, who dusts through the house trying to find her one coin in the darkness of night. He's like a father whose, whose son squanders his whole inheritance on, you know, dirt. And he's waiting at the door to run to his son. Jesus cares for his sheep. Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you. Jesus longs to be with you. May we not underestimate the power and passion of Jesus for us. Rather, may we grow close to him, learning to recognise his presence, his voice and his love. It's funny that the people on the shore recognise him straight away. 
It tells us the problem wasn't with Jesus. He wasn't wearing some sort of Phantom of the Opera mask because, you know, he was, he was riding high from the fire thou or nothing like that. The problem was with his best friends. May we have faith that Jesus is here, that he cares, and that he's with us through the trials. That great song, through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. Jess, play that riff. I'm always saying that at the end of the half. Play that riff. Through the storm, he is Lord. He's Lord of all. He can walk on those waves. His presence will be your peace and his closeness your comfort. And may we learn to discern and recognize his revelation. How? Stay close to Jesus. I've only been married 10 months, and yet I know Jess's voice, her movements, her dance moves. I've been watching a lot of Michael Jackson. I've just does like the sidekick and out. It's amazing. She's got, she's got really sore legs at the moment from doing the, the kick too much. But I know her dance moves, her habits. I even reckon I know her thoughts. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. But it's being close to someone which helps you know them. And we, we stayed in Macedon um, for a couple of nights last week and they had blackout blinds. And we're living in, in Parkville in the inner city, so we do not have blackout blinds. You know, there's a lot of lights that are coming through the night. Blackout blinds in the middle of the country. It was like, man, I got up. I was like, can't see anything. I'm like running into foreign objects. But I knew Jess was there. I knew her voice and her movements because I've been married to her only for 10 months. Imagine if you've been married for 10 years or 50, like some legends in this church. God bless you guys. In prayer, in silence and solitude, in church community, gathering here, in worship, in the word of God, get to know the person of Jesus. Get close to him and learn to taste and learn and experience and see his revelation. Be part of the life of Jesus. Participate in relationship with him. Let him build your faith muscles. But take heart too. Because you don't need to know everything. You don't need to have it all together or anything like that. Look at verse 52. For they had not understood. They had not understood. And yet the winds had already been stilled. Their lack of understanding, their lack of faith, it did mean that they initially freaked out. But it didn't mean that Jesus didn't help. The peace that came was not to do with the disciples at all, but was because Jesus was with them. The winds were stilled, the storm silenced, and they found themselves on the shore in the morning because Jesus was with them and for no other reason than that Jesus was with them. That is the answer. He is the answer. The God-man who walks on water, feeds 5,000, prays to the Father and heals the masses with the edge of his cloak. His name is Jesus. And he so loves you. He is with you. And when the rowing gets tough, he is with you. Let's pray. Let's stand up and pray for
We know your presence, Jesus. We know your peace. Will we learn to discern your revelation to us? Will we recognize you in the midst of the storms and the pain and the strain of the oar? If we've been separated from you by, by any sin, would you lead us to repentance and reconciliation with you? If we, if we don't know you, you Jesus, if, if someone or some of us here don't know you, and are separated from you, draw them to you today, God. And yet there's still storms. There's still pain. There's still waves. And the oars still strain. So pray, God, that you would help us know that you are Help us feel and see and experience that you are with us. Know the comfort of your closeness. Know the peace of your presence and the truth of your love. 